Well, take your Bibles with me once again and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 9 to 13 is our, is our subject today. And as we turn to this passage of Scripture, we're looking at the issue of humility. If uh, Muhammad Ali was not the greatest boxer who ever lived, he certainly thought he was. And uh, there's, a, there's a story about him. It, I guess it's true, but uh, he was on an airplane one time, and the stewardess came to him and said, Mr. Ali, you need to buckle up. You need to put your seatbelt on. And uh, Muhammad Ali said, the Superman doesn't need a seatbelt. And she was up for the occasion. She said, and Superman doesn't need an airplane either. <laughs> uh, this church at Corinth uh, was much like Muhammad Ali. They were full of pride. They were full of self. Uh, he thought they needed nothing but themselves. And they didn't seem to be aware of their situation. And so the Apostle Paul is not content to leave it that way. He is going to identify for them their issues, their problems. And the main problem that we see permeating throughout the book is pride. And the, pride, uh, the, the fact of their pride and their arrogance is going to lead to so many other problems that we find in the book here. But they didn't know they were proud, I don't think. Most people that are proud don't know they're proud. Uh, and that's a problem, isn't it? If we don't know we have an issue, if we don't know we have a sin problem, uh, then we're not going to deal with it. We're not even going to know how to deal with it because we're not aware that it's even out there. So the Apostle Paul is going to, to uh, identify for us this issue of pride and humility. When you think about humility, uh, it's a hard thing to uh, pin down, isn't it? What exactly is a humble person? How do you define humility, really, and live it out? If we were to have a vote here at church for the most humble person in the church, and uh, we came up with an individual and we gave them a t-shirt that says, I am humble, and then they wore it, we'd have to take it away, right? Because they, now they're proud of their humility. Uh, hu so humility is a hard thing to nail down. And so the Apostle Paul doesn't define it, he describes it. And he describes it in, in a, a contrast between how these people think and act and their attitudes with that of the actions and the attitudes of the apostles. And that's how he defines it. That's how he describes it. And that's what we're going to look at briefly this morning as we, as we look at four major differences between the apostles and their actions and attitudes and this church at Corinth and their actions and attitudes. Look at verse, let's start with verse 7, backing up from last week. Uh, he's all but mocking them here. This is very sarcastic. Uh, and uh, verse 7, he says, For who regards you as superior? Apparently they regarded themselves as superior. Paul did not. What do you have that you did not receive? And, what did you re and if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? You're already filled. You've already become rich. You've already become kings without us. And indeed, I wish you had become kings so that we might reign with you. So they had this elevated understanding of themselves. Their, their view of themselves is that they were, they were complete. They were mature. They were rich spiritually. They were even reigning. That is, they were, they were elevated over the apostles. They looked down on the apostles. And especially the apostle Paul as we, as we go forth in this book. And also the next one that he writes a few months later to them. And so they had this, this idea then that they were uh, very proud. So Paul jumped in on verse 9 and he gives a contrast. What, how does the apostles... Uh, see themselves. Well, verse 9 tells us, For I thank God has exhibited us apostles last of all as men condemned to death because we become a spectacle to the world, both to angels 
and to men. They saw themselves as kings. The apostles saw themselves as spectacles. Now what exactly does he mean by this thing, spectacle? Uh, There's two opinions, two options that commentators throw out here. Both probably could be true. Uh, They both come up to the same thing. One is the word spectacle was a unique word of that time uh, that spoke of those individuals who were thrown into the Colosseum and such places to fight wild animals or, or one another, gladiators and so forth, and they would duel to the death. And they were, they were there in the arena. The spectators were gathered around watching people kill each other, and they were spectacles of, the, of that nature. And that's one of the things that uh, could be here. Matter of fact, when they went into the arena, they would turn to the uh, dignitaries there at the arena and say to them, we who are about to die greet you. So they were there to die, and they knew they were going, about to die, and they were spectacles in that sense. There's another option that some lean toward, though, and it could be the same, it could be true, and that is, uh, this could be speaking of the Roman triumphs. When the Roman legionaries went out and, and had a great battle and won, they would come back to Rome and have a parade through the ro- streets of Rome. And in that parade, at the very front were the generals and the, uh, the ones who had won the battle. Uh, followed that were the... Uh, the dignitaries, the nobles, the, uh, the priests even, had followed right behind the generals. Following them was the, was the army that had won the great battles. Following them was wagons loaded with all the stuff they had taken away from the enemies that they had defeated. And then last of all were the captives, uh, the prisoners of war that had been taken through the battle. And in that, those prisoners were chained, being drugged through the streets, and at the end of the parade, they were taken out and executed. They died. So either of those illustrations fit. Maybe both had what Paul had in mind. But the point was that in both cases, they were spectacles to the world. They were people under, who were being humiliated, and ultimately they would die. That's how the apostles saw themselves. They didn't see themselves as kings. They saw themselves as spectacles to the world. What a contrast. They were on display for ridicule. And so the Corinthians who thought they were at the world on a string, but the, the apostles saw themselves as, as humiliated by the world, as put on display, and about to die. This, that view, by the way, let's, let's bring that up to the 21st century, that view that we are living for Christ as spectacles to the world, oddballs, weirdos, strange, misfits, uh, because we follow Jesus Christ and not the other things that are going on in the world, that whole idea, that, and also that we would, would sacrifice our lives for him if necessary unto death, um, is not very popular, is it? The fastest growing brand of Christianity, as all of us know, all, not just in America, but all over the globe, is a brand of Christianity that says if you follow Christ, Christ will give you all the goodies of life. He'll give you wealth and health and success and prosperity and everything that you want. God will give that to you if you will follow Christ. That is growing by leaps and bounds all over the globe, but it's not Christianity. Uh, Christianity is represented by verses such as these, people that are willing to sacrifice it all for Jesus Christ if necessary, and if necessary even to die. That's humility, folks, where you're not living for yourself, you're not living for your own ambitions, uh, you're living for Jesus Christ, and you're willing to do whatever he would have you do. It's hard for all of us to do that. And who wants to be strange? I mean, who wants to look weird to neighbors and so forth? I, I, quite honestly, with myself, I know several neighbors around me. 
I know them by name. I, I, uh, we, we talk uh, once in a while. We talk about grass, really important stuff. We talk about dogs. Uh, we might talk about, uh, might talk about little sports, not much. We might talk about politics a little bit. But, but, do it, uh, but to talk about Christ puts me in a different category. They already know I'm a preacher, so I already got this spiritual creeping crud all over me. You know? So if I say much, I, I know they're going to pull back. They don't want to hear what I have to say. And so, so I, I tend not to say much. You do that? We, we don't want to be weird. You know? We want to be respected. But the apostles, and this is, this is humility. See, my issue is pride. The apostles said they didn't mind looking like spectacles to the world because of Christ. Secondly, they were, they were willing to be fools for Christ's sake. In verse 10, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Christ. Uh, fools, uh, we understand that word, foolishness. Uh, the word In the King James, the word for prudent here is translated wise, but the right word in the Greek is, is prudent. That means well-balanced. You know, I don't want to be a fanatic about this Christianity stuff. Ever, ever meet somebody like that? Or maybe you're there? I want to be a Christian. Certainly want to go to heaven when I die. Uh, the alternative is not so great, you know. Uh, I, I want to have some respectability. I want to be a church member. I want to maybe do this or that. But, you know, that's, I don't want to be fanatical about it. I, I, don't want to, I, don't want to, I don't want to stick out in some strange way. And so they didn't. The, Paul was saying, here, I'm a, we are a fool. You want to be prudent. I remember when I took my first secular job as a young man where I worked among a bunch of unsafe people. And when they found out what I believed and so forth, they, they started uh, making a little bit of fun of me. It wasn't too bad. They'd call me things like deacon. They'd make fun of my musical selection, the Christian music that they thought, is that on the top 40, they said, you know, type of thing. And I probably, I really should have taken that as a compliment. But at that point in my life, I kind of took it uh, as an insult because, you know what, I, I want to be different, but I didn't want to be that different. I didn't want to stick out too much. I really wasn't willing at that point to be a fool for Christ. But these people, the apostles, were willing to do that. They were willing to look foolish. The Greek word, as you remember, is moronic. They were willing to look like that for the sake of Christ because they weren't concerned about their own advancement. They were concerned about much higher things, and that is the advancement of Christ. And this whole issue of being under uh, the ridicule of other people, I believe, is a tool God uses in our lives to bring us to humility. Think about it for a moment. Uh, John MacArthur, most of you know John MacArthur if you go to our church here. Uh, excellent preacher out in California. Uh, we've got a lot from him over the years. And, and he, because of his positions he takes, uh, he often is ridiculed, misrepresented. And he said in one of his, uh, his books or articles, he said this, I've learned to embrace failure and criticism as probably the most productive work of God in my life. I can't exegete a passage. What I cannot do is refine myself. I cannot crush my own pride. So there's a sense in which the best things that have happened to me have been the disappointments and the misrepresentations. Think about that. To be misrepresented for Christ. So people see that we're, we're Christians and they distort who we really are and what we really believe. That, that tends to anger me when people tell me Christians believe this and we don't believe this. It's a distortion. 
And yet the Lord uses those things, I believe, as tools to humble us for him. The uh, apostles were willing to risk their reputation for Christ. Thirdly, not only were they spectacles and fools, they were weak. We go back to verse 10 here where he says, we are weak, but you are strong. The proud imagine themselves to be strong. Uh, they, uh, they're independent, they're self-confident, uh, they don't need anybody else, they don't need God because they got all these gifts and all this money and all these opportunities. They don't need one another because who needs other Christians to, uh, to depend upon? Who needs other Christians to minister to us? Who needs other Christians to teach us? We can do that for ourselves. That's a sign of pride, folks. I hear often of people that, that can't get along with anybody else with this do their own thing. They just stay home. They don't, don't get involved with Christians because they've now become to the place that nobody can be right but them. That's pride. And yet we find here, Paul says, we were weak, and you thought you were strong. A few of us want to see ourselves as weak, right? Uh, we would rather be strong in a bad place than weak in a good place. Uh, in Paradise Lost, John Milton has his devil say these famous words. I've, I've always remembered these words. He says, the devil says, I would rather reign in hell than to serve in heaven. Now, quite frankly, I think that describes a lot of people. They would rather reign in hell and to serve the Lord Jesus in heaven. The uh, apostles saw themselves not as self-sufficient, but as weak. And that is, uh, that is a whole turnaround, folks, in the mindset of our thinking, because our idea is that the Lord uses the strong and the independent and the powerful. Uh, he doesn't necessarily use the weak and the humble. But that's just the opposite of what scripture teaches. Go back one page, chapter 1, verse 27. He's already hit this subject once. He says in 127, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong and the base things of the world and to despise. God has chosen the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man may, may boast before God. And we think if we can just get strong enough if we can get strong enough personally, if we can get our church strong enough uh, as a church, if we can get our mission organization strong enough, well-financed enough, and so forth, then we're going to do great things. And the Lord said, wait a minute, I, I didn't choose many mighty. I didn't choose many great people. I didn't choose many brilliant people. I chose, for the most part, those who are weak and those who are humble and those who are base. That doesn't flatter us much, does it? Not very flattering at all. The Apostle Paul, as you recall, dealt with that issue later. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 for a moment. This is a well-worn passage, but certainly fits. Paul is still writing to the same church. He's writing to them a few months later, and we're still dealing with the same issues here in, uh, in Paul's life and this church life. And uh, he comes to this passage of Scripture, and, and he says in verse 9 of chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, he said because the Lord had given him so much, the Lord needed to humble him to use him. He, he, was, he was too gifted, too, too successful to be rightly used by God. You ever think like that? Most people don't think like that. Uh, Paul wasn't thinking like that. And so the Lord humbles him. And he says, Paul finally said after a period of time struggling with that issue, he says in verse 9, he says, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. 
Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. What a different mindset. It's when we're not depending on ourselves. When we're not looking at our own abilities and, and brilliance and, and giftedness and so forth. That is when we are truly strong because then we're dependent upon Christ and not on self. That's an upside-down mindset to everything and anything that the world tells us. And often, unfortunately, we follow in the footsteps of those things. Let's go back to our passage. As Paul writes, continues, he's describing, I think, humility. He's, the, the apostles saw themselves as spectacles and as fools and as weak. One more thing, they, they were willing to live without honor. In verse 10, he says, We are fools for Christ's sake, but you're prudent in Christ. We're weak, but, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. Without honor. Warren Wiersbe says, This is the crux of the whole matter. The, the Christians at Corinth wanted to honor that, uh, the honor that comes from men, not the honor that comes from God. They wanted honor. They wanted respect. Some of you might remember the old comedian Rodney Dangerfield who made a living on telling people he wasn't respected. Nobody respected him. And he hated it. He complained. Paul says we don't get any respect. We love it. Because our honor doesn't come from us. It comes from God. What a different thing. What a mark of maturity. I want you to notice how he outlines this living without honor. What does it look like? Going down to verse 11 they live for higher values to this present hour we're both hungry and thirsty and are poorly clothed and roughly treated and are homeless and we toil working with our own hands let's take a look at those things you notice that if you just look at that list this, this is a list of all the things that most people seek after all their life every one of those things are the things that we want in life the things we chase after. We go to college to get these things. We, we move to a certain state to get these things. We marry to get these things. We, we live to get these things. These are the things the world wants. And Paul says, uh, in our case, we didn't care if we got these or not. Matter of fact, in our life, we found a number of things that nobody wanted. First of all, they're poor. They're hungry and thirsty. True poverty. A missionary that I knew from many years ago was back home from the third world country. And uh, we were traveling on the, on the poorer side of Springfield. And we're talking about poverty. And he says, Americans have no idea what poverty even is. And I said, what do you mean? He said, where I'm come, come from, they don't have refrigerators. They don't have indoor plumbing. They don't have electricity. They don't, they don't have uh, any of the things that these, these people here have who think they're poor. Well, I'd never been to a third world country at that point, so I just took his word for it, but I've been to him since, and he's absolutely right. The, the poverty is unimaginable in much of the world, including hunger and thirst. And the Apostle Paul said, for Christ's sake, we were willing to be so poor that we didn't have food, we didn't have drink for the, for the cause of Christ. Well, that's, that's heavy stuff. That's just, that's just natural stuff. And that's just the stuff we, we all think we need, and we do, if we're going to live very long. And yet he was willing to forgo those things if necessary for Christ's sake. Secondly, we notice not only are they poor, but he says that, uh, that, that we were 
poorly clothed. Now, for some of you, that would be worse than not eating. You know, if you weren't trendy, you didn't have the right clothes on, uh, you, you might really be upset. Now, personally, that doesn't bother me much because I never know what the trends are. You know, I'm always looking around, what kind of socks are we wearing this year? You know, I'm trying to figure that kind of stuff out. But for some people who have to be on the cutting edge of cool, that could be a hard thing. You're going to live in rags? You're not going to have the acceptable clothing? Uh, well, Paul doesn't seem to be bothered by that. And then they're going to be roughly treated, he said. Uh, you don't treat dignitaries roughly, you treat them gently. But he said, we, we were roughly treated. There's no, there was no celebrities here. Uh, nobody um, paid 25 bucks to go uh, watch an apostle preach somewhere like some preachers are doing today. You have to buy a ticket to get in. Uh, nobody, uh, uh, nobody sought their autographs. If you wanted to find an apostle, your best bet was probably to go down to the local jail because they've been put in jail for the cause of Christ. And then they were homeless. Paul and many of the other apostles lived most of their lives as adults homeless. They didn't have a roof over their head. They didn't have their own bed to sleep in. And they did that willingly for the cause of Christ. And then lastly, he said, uh, we toil with our own hands. And that doesn't sound too strange to most of us unless you realize that the upper crust Greeks and Romans were much like the, the English aristocrats in those books a lot of you like, you know, those uh, Jane Austen books, Downton Abbey and those kind of things, you know, where, where you have this rich class of people who don't work with their hands. They inherited money. They received, they received titles. They don't work with their hands. To do so is humiliating. And that's what he's talking about here. He's not a dignitary. He's not a man who has been given things, who sits back and is served. He's a man that works with his own hands to provide his needs. And that's the kind of person he was. So the things that are prized by most people meant little to those who are humble. That doesn't mean that everybody who, who follows Christ in humility are going to receive these kinds of things. But they're willing to. And so we have to ask how many of us are even willing to do that. Here's another thing. Not only did they have higher values, but they, were, they blessed those who insulted them. Uh, we, when, we're, when we are reviled, we bless. What do, you, what do you feel like? What do you think when somebody insults you? When somebody says something that hurts your feelings, that goes against the grain in your heart, uh, that, that, that they, they say something about your appearance or about your abilities or about your lifestyle or about your convictions, and, and they, they kind of barb you, kind of hurt you. What's your, what's your reaction? Well, most likely you get your back up, don't you? And you, and you, deal, you try to deal with that by usually uh, getting even with them if they do such things to us. But that's not the Christ-like walk, is it? Remember Romans 12, 14? It says, Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. To revile, the word revile here means to insult, to put down. The word bless means to lift up to say good things about. And then third, third, they endure persecution. So he moves on. When we are persecuted, we endure. Revile is to injure somebody with words. That's what most of us have faced. To persecute means to be injured by action, physical persecution. And he says when that happens, when we're persecuted, and they were, that we endured that rather than taking, advantage, uh, taking revenge on that. See, what we want to do, go back to Romans 12 sometime, verses 14 to 21, and it talks all about that issue that, that when we are hurt by other people, what our first thought is revenge. We want to get even. 
We want them to hurt like we hurt. But that's not the way of humility. That's not the Christ-like walk. It's to bless those who persecute us, bless those who injure us. One of the old fables tells us this. This is the way the ancient people thought in these fables. The horse had a meadow all to himself. And one day the stag came into the meadow and started eating his grass. The horse went to a man and said to the man, um, Would you help me get revenge on the stag? And the man said, Sure. All, all I require is I put a bridle in your, in your mouth and ride on, on your back. And from that point on, the horse has been under the control and the dominance of mankind. Now that little fable, just a tiny little fable, tells us this. Revenge imprisons us. When we seek revenge, revenge becomes our master. It controls us. It eats at our hearts. It eats at our souls. It controls our lives. It, 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 as the horse is now under the control of a, a man, so revenge is over the control of us. And then finally, they meet slander with kindness in verse 13. When we're slandered, we try to conciliate. That word for conciliate is a word that can be translated a number of ways. Slander is to be spoken uh, evil of, gossip, so forth. But to conciliate is, is the idea, it seems, of kindness. Rather than giving back in kind, uh, we give back in a way in which we try to solve the problem, the issue in kindness. Now, how can anybody live like this? Here are the marks of the, of the humility of the apostles. Uh, these are wonderful marks. They were willing to be spectacles and fools and, and weak and without honor for Christ's sake. Why, why were they willing to do that? What, 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 was, what was at the core of their thinking? Well, look at the end of the verse 13 and you'll see the core. Here's their secret. We have become as the scum of the world and the dregs of all things even until now. The words for scum and, and dregs here is the idea of the residue left over in a, in a sink after you wash your greasy hands. It, it's, a, it's a leftover junk in the, in the bathtub when, after you've been really dirty and you've got to ring around the tub. It, it's grimy, gooey stuff. It, it's, it's something nobody wants. And the Apostle Paul says, we're willing to be these people. This is, this is the secret. This is the core. We don't see ourselves as something mighty and great and wonderful. We see ourselves as the scum of the earth. Wow, is that topsy-turvy to the way we think today, the way we're told to think today. He's not saying that we see ourselves in a way that we're not. He's not saying look down upon ourselves. He's saying this, look, for the cause of Christ, they were willing to do whatever was necessary to serve him. Rather than elevating themselves and being looked up to as something special or dignitaries, uh, they were willing to be the lowest of the low, in order to proclaim the, the truth of God's word wherever they could go. That was what they wanted to do. That was their honor. Pride imprisons us. It becomes our slave master. Humility frees us to become all that we were in Christ, or are in Christ. In 1954, at the Cotton Bowl, Alabama was playing Rice. Rice was... Uh, just a little bit ahead, one of, the, one of their players got the ball, broke through the line, and was running down for a touchdown. One of the players on the sideline named Tommy Lewis jumped off the bench and tackled the guy on about the 45-yard line. 
Uh, of course, he got kicked out of the game. The, foot, the touchdown was awarded to Rice, and they ultimately went, won the game. After the game, this is a rather famous tackle, by the way. After the game, somebody went and interviewed Tommy Rice, and why in the world did you do that? His only answer was this, I'm just so full of Alabama. So full of Alabama that he just couldn't watch somebody go make a touchdown. In the process, he was kicked out. They lost the game. This guy he tackled was probably injured, but he was so full of Alabama. My friends, the Corinthians were so full of pride that they could not be what God designed them to be. And if you and I follow in that foot, those footsteps, then we are, our pride will keep us from being what God designed us to be. And so instead of being so full of pride, the apostles demonstrate to us what it looks like to be full of humility. So I hope we all, all of us take this to heart because all of us struggle with these issues, right? Father, we thank you now for the word. We thank you for the truth that you have given us today in your word. Thank you for this good service of music and prayer and of our young people singing for us. Lord, this has been a good day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.